Thank you, Taylor. I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning, one of our missionaries this class has supported for several years, Vladimir Pickman. Uh, delighted that he has joined us. A little bit of history, if uh, you don't mind. Vladimir is a Messianic Jewish believer. He is a missionary that reaches out based out of Berlin, Germany. He was known by Dr. Stan Toussaint, and Dr. Toussaint recommended him to the committee of this class that we consider taking him on as one of our missionaries or helping to partially support him. He has been a delight, a real wonderful, pleasant representative of our Lord Jesus Christ and God in heaven. And the lives that he has touched, uh, I don't know how much he's going to tell about himself when he speaks to us today, but the lives he has touched is international. I'm talking about multiple places in Europe, multiple places uh, in the States, and especially in the, the Dallas and Texas area. But I just want to give you a little bit of background of who our speaker is this morning, if those of you who are newer to the class don't know him and haven't heard about him. Vladimir. Come speak with us, please. Thank you very much. It's an excellent, touching introduction. Thank you. Uh, well, I'm not going to talk uh, much about myself. Uh, uh, we are privileged, uh, my wife Ina and I, we are privileged to know most of you for a number of years, and it's always a joy to be uh, with you in your class. Uh, just quick updates uh, regarding uh, our life and ministry. As uh, many of you know, we have two daughters. Now only one is left with us because the older she is uh, studying in college at uh, Liberty University in Virginia. Uh, it was her dream actually to be in a Christian uh, college. Uh, so for her, it's like dream uh, coming true. And we rejoice for her, although we are missing her greatly. Uh, our younger daughter, uh, she has one uh, and a half years more to spend with us. And then, you know, we'll see what God wants us to do without uh, our girls uh, with us. Um, and the ministry in Germany is growing and with me bouncing or dividing my time between uh, Berlin and Dallas, it's growing even better. I'm, uh, I'm executive director and founding executive director of that ministry, but you know, sometimes with me being off or taking my uh, hands a little bit off of direct involvement there, the ministry is growing better because the leaders there, they... Uh, they think, well, maybe we should take initiative and uh, make some things and some decisions ourselves. So they do. And uh, in the last uh, two years, the ministry advanced uh, probably like 40% in everything. Projects, uh, number of uh, staff members. Uh, last year, we added 10 people to our staff, uh, Germany-wide. And this year, it's already like two or three. Uh, it calls... Uh, uh, it calls the restructuring uh, on our agenda, uh, and well, I'm still even while here in Dallas, 
going back and forth, but while in Dallas, six to, seven, uh, to eight hours I'm spending on conference calls and uh, interacting with uh, the leaders there, with the people there, doing different committees, leading the Bible studies even at the congregation in Berlin that I'm uh, leading bivocationally. So, for example, like 10 people sitting in front of me on a screen of computer, they sit in different uh, locations in Berlin, and I teach them once a week Bible study. I do decide uh, discipling for young believers also, like this, uh, from Dallas. Besides, I'm even doing premarital counseling for, uh, for some couples from Dallas in Berlin. Uh, so it works, uh, it works well. In 10 days, I'm uh, back uh, to Berlin again. But please, uh, especially in this season, pray for the restructuring of uh, our ministry there because we need to adjust to the new circumstances. Previously, our ministry was like, you know, like a family business, quote-unquote. Uh, you know, 30 people on staff around Germany. We knew each other. We were like, you know, very close uh, fellowship. But uh, now with more people staying in line to... Uh, minister with us, we need to do something in order to adjust to this new situation, uh, our ministry growing bigger there. Pray also for our ministry here in Dallas. Uh, we have uh, a network that I was telling you also previously here in Dallas uh, called Our Jewish Friends. And it's not an organization. It's, uh, it's absolutely informal uh, network of those who want to share uh, the gospel with the Jewish people they know together. So we, we do it together. I'm doing, I do some training for, the, uh, peop, for those who have Jewish friends how to do it. We organize the events. We support with materials. So if you have some Jewish friends or Jewish people you know, uh, talk to me, please, and uh, get uh, a f uh, somehow connected to this network for us to see what we can do together to reach your Jewish friends with uh, the gospel. If you have a Jewish friend and don't uh, have this book, uh, haven't had this book from me to give to a Jewish friend called Isaiah 53 Explained, uh, I, I have a couple of these books with me to give it to you for you to pass it uh, to your uh, Jewish friend. Uh, so please consider this. Now, uh, without... Uh, Further, additional explanation to myself and my family and ministry. I'm coming to uh, the subject that I was going to talk with you about uh, this morning. And it's very relevant, calendar-relevant subject uh, uh, today, namely Purim. Uh, we celebrated as uh, Jewish people, we celebrated Purim just a couple of days uh, ago. And... Uh, for those who are careful students of the Bible, you know what book in the Bible Purim is described in. In the book of Esther, correctly. So, uh, it's, a very, uh, it's a very fun feast. It's a very fun celebration. It's a great joy for us. So, uh, Jewish people rejoice and have much fun celebrating the fact that God protects us from our enemies and doesn't let us to be destroyed as the people. We were saved physically as the people back then in the time of uh, Esther and Mordechai. It's a good reason for joy. So we 
do different plays, masquerades. Uh, we, uh, we wear special costumes reminding us of uh, that time. We do Purim plays or Purim spiel. Uh, we, uh, we took the roles of uh, different uh, uh, people uh, in that story. Uh, we have much fun, and unfortunately, uh, even so much fun that Jewish tradition says you got to drink much alcohol. Uh, for you to uh, really like absolutely rejoice uh, whatever uh, we also uh, we also read the uh, book of Esther uh, for Purim and every time we read uh, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the book uh, Esther uh, the book of Esther every time uh, the word or the name Aman comes up we uh, do uh, crazy sounds like woo or, or doing some uh, some other things to just uh, to make his name unheard so nobody could hear his name it's uh, it's much fun i was uh, actually for purim a couple of days ago i was at the christian uh, uh, Congress of like broadcasting, uh, broad, uh, convention of uh, broadcasting networks or something like that in Nashville, and uh, and there were many people from uh, Israel or some people from Israel, and the organizers uh, of this Christian, actually Christian uh, convention, they decided to do something good for the Jewish people. And they invited a rabbi and a cantor from a synagogue uh, in Nashville to read from the book of Esther. So I was in a room like this with, uh, with many Jewish people sitting together listening to uh, the book of Esther being chanted. It was beautiful. And it was a good testimony, uh, also done by Christians. And uh, we could talk to some Jewish uh, people there and mention that we are Messianic. So it's, uh, it's a very enjoyable holiday. But, uh, you know, I'm telling you that. And when I'm telling you that, you cannot, you cannot feel the fun of the, all this. You cannot feel the joy. Ina is with me today, and she is going to sing a couple of Purim songs for you not just to hear about this, but to experience uh, some joy of uh, Purim. So, Ina, please uh, give us a couple of uh, joyful Purim songs. And please consider, it's not like worship, it's not necessary worship songs. It's, uh, it's a joyful Purim songs. Right. Uh, I'm not sure that you cannot say that this is worship songs because I brought the computer because it's the Bible is in there. So um, it's all actually uh, from the Bible. So the first song is from Esther, Book of Esther, chapter 8, um, verses 15 and 16. Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white and with a great crown of gold and was a garment of fine linen and purple, and the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. And the next song is from Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 10. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand, 
for God is with us. don't have in a series we have couple uh, of, of four series with us um, Purim you read the book of uh, Esther right so you know the story for me it's always fascinating it's like full of coincidence Everything, like every chapter, has at least several coincidences. So like Esther was uh, selected as, uh, as the queen. Uh, just why? <laughs> Among all other good, uh, good girls of that time. Coincident. Amman decided to uh, kill all Jewish people on a particular day. That day, he himself was killed. Coincident. Esther went to the uh, to the king, and uh, he was uh, and he suddenly was open to receive her uh, and talk to her. Coincident, 
Mordechai was sitting and observing some people, or listening to, hearing about some people trying to kill the king. Just why he was, why was he there? At that very spot, that very moment. Coincident. It was recorded in the book. Uh, but who reads the book? The king is busy. But that was that moment the sleep was taken away from him. So he told, bring me this book and read it. And look, the book is, uh, the book of what happening, what is happening in the kingdom is huge. But it was open exactly that very place, very passage about the Mordechai. Coincident. Next time you read the book of Esther, read this book and notice all the coincidence. At the same time, notice the name of God is never mentioned in the book. It's just like all coincidence after coincidence. Count the coincidence next time. It's at least a hundred. And that's why some translators could not resist the temptation to say that it was God who took the sleep away from, from the king. When it's too many coincidences, then even the person who is not really believer would say, there is somebody behind that. The book of Esther is the book where God is the most significantly and vividly present without his name mentioned there even once. So, it could be a coincidence for Haman. You know this uh, evil man who tried to kill all the Jewish people. And the reason he, uh, he uh, the reason for him personal, like emotional reason was Mordechai didn't want to bow down in front before him and uh, just more, Aman hated all the Jews just because of insubmissiveness of one Jewish man. But it was not all. The reason he brought uh, to the king to kill all the Jews, he said, there is, there is a people living among us, but their laws and their customs are different from our customs. They're like different. They are dangerous. You know what Aman forgot or simply didn't know? Jewish people not simply had or have different customs and different laws. They also have the true God who always fight for them. They have the God who said that everything what touches you, it's like touching the apple of my eye. God, of, the God of Israel is very touchy about the Jewish people. Unfortunately for him, Aman didn't read the Bible. So read your Bibles. It's helpful, it's healthy, it can save your life. I mean, physically speaking, Aman died because he, he didn't read the Bible probably, he didn't know God who said 
Very significant words in the Bible regarding the Jewish people. And if a man would read, like, for example, the prophet Jeremiah in chapter, in, uh, in chapter 31, and you, you probably know chapter 31 from uh, Jeremiah, what is written there in chapter 31? It's something about the new covenant. The days are coming, I'm going to make a new covenant. We'll read it uh, briefly a little bit later. But now I want to point your attention to the verses that follow the description uh, of the new covenant. And uh, it's Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 through 37. So says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me forever. So says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. That's something what Amman should read. If you want to kill the Jewish people, you need to measure heavens above and you will search, you will need to search the foundations of the earth out below. You will need to destroy the order of the universe and the gravitation law, everything. You will need to change the all laws of natural science. And after you have done all this, you can come and kill the Jewish people. So says the Lord. With other words, it's impossible. A man, instead of measuring the heavens, researching the, uh, the, under the earth below, instead of destroying the sun and moon and stars, first he went to the king and he tried to kill the Jewish people. He was killed himself. The Nazis in Germany, they tried to, uh, they tried to kill all the Jewish people in Europe. They should read the Bible and Purim's story. That's impossible. Literally, if we trust the Bible, if we trust the God of Israel, it's impossible to destroy the Jewish people. As Jewish people, we used to live uh, in the anti in, with certain victim mentality being afraid and concerned that all the world hates us. 
and everybody wants uh, to kill us or just do some harm for us uh, to us because they don't like us. But at the same time, the Bible teaches us very clear. We have no reasons to be afraid because there is no way that we will be destroyed as long as Avinuhai, our father, lives. As long as God is alive and it's forever, the people of Israel will live. And now I'm coming to the new uh, to the new covenant. What does the new covenant uh, have to do with the book of Esther? Well, the passage that I just read from uh, uh, Jeremiah 31 verses 35 and following is directly attached to the previous verses in the context that God takes care of the people of his people Israel and in the context it says it said you are disobedient you are under my judgment and you are under my wrath but nevertheless i love you i'm faithful to you and i want you to be saved. I want you to experience peace, my peace and joy in my very presence. And that's why in verse 31, Jeremiah 31 and through verse 34 we read, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. They will not teach again each man his neighbor, and each man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. And right after, he starts talking about the impossibility to destroy the Jewish people. So the new covenant that we know was cut or made in Jesus, by his blood. This new covenant is the guarantee that the people of Israel will live. That's the means for God to keep his promise to his chosen people, Israel. 
The new covenant is not just the covenant for everyone, what is also true, but not just. That's God's provision for the Jewish people to be alive. The new covenant, as you can see in this uh, text, is made with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And everything what we read in this passage is directly addressed to the Jewish people. How many times or how many centuries the church considered the new covenant exclusively as the covenant made with quote-unquote Gentiles. Israel is not the chosen people of God any longer. The church is now. It was destroying the very core of the meaning of the new covenant. According to Jeremiah chapter 31. Not, it's not that Israel was cast out. But it was exactly Israel who should be included in this covenant. One of my friends once uh, made this statement. The gospel is the good news for the Jews. It sounds like, I would say, sort of poetic, <laughs> rhythmic in, uh, in English. Good news for the Jews. Yes, <laughs> that is the gospel. Do you remember uh, Romans uh, chapter 1 verse 16? The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everybody who believes. To the Jew first, but also to the Gentiles. To the Jew first, some interpret that as a temper, uh, like a timetable. So first it went to the Jewish people and then it went to the, uh, to the church. Or to, uh, to the church, I mean, it's, as church is just Gentiles. No, church consists of the Jewish people like myself and Gentiles as some of you. Praise God. That's, a, that's also good news. But anyway, uh, it's, uh, so the gospel, like is in the case with the Apostle Paul, in every city he came in the book of Acts, the first place he, uh, he went, what, what was it? A synagogue. So he comes to a synagogue and then he preached to the Jewish people and to some Gentiles who were uh, at this uh, synagogue. And uh, some believe, some say, no, get away of us, from us. And Paul says, like, okay, I came to you, you don't want that, I go to Gentiles now. And he goes to the Gentiles. And then he proceeds to the next city. Where is he going there? To a synagogue or a Jewish community. And then he preached, some believe, some don't. He says, now I'm going to the Gentiles. And then he goes to another city. What is his first destination? It's a pattern. So to the Jew first and then to everybody else. That's what we, uh, that's, uh, what, uh, we do in our ministry. We, I told you that uh, previously. I'm just repeating myself. We go to a Jew first. But on the way to one Jew we meet ten Gentiles. And we are not ashamed to share the gospel with them. 
as well. So we reached 10 Gentiles on the way to one Jew, like on the average. Anyway, some other interpret this to the Jew first uh, statement as uh, uh, it's the priority. So Jewish people, they have a certain priority. So just like uh, make them your priority. Pray for them for the salvation of the Jewish people first. Share the gospel with every uh, Jew you know. So it's also biblical and it's also, it's also right. But it's not all. The gospel is the good news for the Jews and for the Jewish people first by its very essence because the new covenant was in its essence the covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah the forgiveness of sin was promised by its very essence to the house of Israel and the house of Judah the knowledge of the Lord and close relationship with him was promised essentially to the Jewish people. So the gospel in its very essence is the good news for the Jews. By saying that, I'm probably making some of you frustrated or upset. I'm not Jewish, so is the gospel not for me? Yes, it is for you. <laughs> It is 100% for you. Because it's the good news for the Jews. To the Jew first, but also to everybody else. That was a surprise for the apostles, uh, probably, at, uh, in the first century AD. What? Gentiles can follow Jesus and be saved without being circumcised? And becoming Jewish? Yes, they can. Because the gospel that is essentially the good news for the Jews is also the power of God to save everybody. Jesus is the Messiah of Israel and he is the savior of everyone. He is the king of the Jews and at the same time the, he is the king of all kings. Amen? But at the same time let me point your attention to something in all this logic. Namely, he is the Christ for the nations in that he is the Messiah of Israel. And if he is not the Messiah of Israel, he is not Christ for other nations. If the gospel is not essentially the good news for the Jews, it's not the power of God to save anyone. You are saved by grace. We all are. We are saved because Jesus came and died for our sin. He rose from the dead. He went high in heaven. He sent the Spirit of God and we are born again. We all are who believe and follow Jesus. But at the same time, it's essentially the good news for the Jews. And I think it's a very important lesson of Purim. God is faithful to his people. And somebody said, Israel, it's like you in a mirror. You look at Israel 
and you see sometimes yourself. You see at the sin, uh, you look at the sin of Israel. Be careful. Maybe you see something what reflects your condition at the moment. You see, uh, you see the, uh, just you see how serious God about iniquities of Israel. Watch out. He is serious. You see his faithfulness to the Jewish people. You can know that he is going to be faithful also to his promises given to you. He loves Israel. Yes, he does. Think of, you, of his love for you. Don't be jealous. Rejoice with the Jewish people. Don't be, don't be in envy. <laughs> Just share the gospel with the Jewish people. Pray for the Jewish people. And sometimes speaking to you, I'm trying to remind what Paul said uh, in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my desire and my prayer for the Jewish people, for them to be saved. Pray for us, the salvation of the Jewish people. I know we are like very little minority among other nations. But God loves small and weak, not less than big and strong. And he expressed his love to the Jewish people in a certain way. So start your prayers for all nations by praying for the Jewish people. And I usually say five seconds would be also enough. But start with that. Pray for the Jewish people to be saved and then ours for other nations. Invest your time, your heart, your soul into this subject of the salvation of the Jewish people. And share the gospel with the Jewish people. According to Romans 11, 11, you are saved to provoke Jewish people to jealousy. And you know what? These days, you are very effective in doing that. According to the new surveys, at least one million of evangelicals in the United States are Jewish. Can you imagine? At least one million of evangelical Christians in evangelical churches are Jewish. Having Jewish mother or Jewish father. Is it not exciting? And it's not because of the missionaries like myself wearing kippah or going to the, Jew, uh, to the Jewish people. No. It's because the good Christians, as you are, who are not ashamed to provoke their Jewish friends and the Jewish people they know to be jealous. Your Messiah forgave all my sin. Your Messiah blessed me. Your Messiah gave me the quality in your life that will never cease. Your Messiah is the best for my life. Welcome to your Messiah, Jesus. Something like that. If you need any help, any assistance, any materials, 
If you want to be trained how to do it better and how to answer Jewish objections or how to present the Messiah through Jewish traditions and holidays, just uh, take, uh, take a brochure of our Jewish Friends uh, Network or just give me your email address and we will be in touch and we will supply you with everything you need. Uh, well, with everything what we can give you. <laughs> but please... Keep praying for the Jewish people to be saved. Please keep provoking Jewish people, you know, or will meet to be jealous and to come to their Messiah in order to strengthen the covenant that we got through the blood of Jesus, in order to strengthen the evidence of the divine faithfulness that is so explicitly shown in the example of his faithfulness to the people of Israel. And may God bless you. Amen.